We left off in Matthew or in James chapter 5 verse 7 and that's actually where we're going to pick back up. And so I want to read just two verses this morning. And before I read it, I want to give one more uh, kind of example of this morning being an entry point into our week of fasting and prayer by saying this. We're only covering two verses. And we're going to talk all about patience today. How everything that we learn in the book of James as the Lord takes us through a journey following him and whatever call he has on your life, it will be an exercise in patience. And I could teach that lesson like sometimes I accidentally do week by week when you just have to learn the exercise of patience to get through a long-winded sermon. <laughs> and so there's a, there is a, a way to just say, hey, we're going to preach for an hour and a half today, and hopefully one of the lessons you'll learn is, a, is patience. But I want to do the reverse of that. I would like to say, let's try to create some space in our church and encourage you to take some space in your life to leave some room for prayer this week. And so I'd like to end maybe a little bit early by God's grace. We'll see if that happens. But I'm only going to cover two verses. I'm going first, and I'm encouraging you, whether you join in a night of worship tonight, whether you come to the morning and evening session as the Lord gives grace to your calendar, or if you're just called to be a part of the body of Christ right here at Calvary Boise, um, make some space that you weren't planning on this week. You're getting invited to seek the Lord in the corporate unity of the church. And that requires, whenever the Lord gives us that call, it requires us to exchange something for him. What will you give in exchange for your soul? And it's like, what will you give in exchange for prayer? Will you give up a Sunday night for prayer? Will you give up uh, maybe an early bedtime? Uh, some of us are going to pray and fast, which means we're going to actually abstain from phones. And we're going to try our very best to say, Lord, we hear your word. We hear the, the, the call to seek you. And we will not make excuses as to why we can't do that. And so today I'm going to say, by God's grace, let's leave early as a picture of us rearranging some of our service and church time uh, in the uh, effort of prayer this week. Verse 7 says this, Therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The, the obvious and clear thesis of this morning. If someone asked you what this sermon was all about, or you had to, to, to really look at this verse and say, here it is, complete espresso shot, is do not worry, be patient. And the timing of this works for the state of our world, and I know it works for the state of our sanctuary because when you study a passage of Scripture that calls us into a place of rejecting worry and being patient, it is applied across the board. And as we study this, you have to ask, where do you get this simple thesis, don't worry, be patient? And part of it comes from that simple word, therefore. It's calling us to remember where we've come from. What's the context of the scripture that leads us to this command that says, be patient. Look at the farmer and be patient. And the context is the last time we were in the book of James, we looked at this, this call or this warning to the ruling class. 
Remember, James took a break from talking to the brethren or the church specifically throughout the letter to take a very quick commercial break where he's specifically talking to those who have their hand on the trial. As James writes to this church and says, as you go through various trials, count it all joy, he gives them strategy for how to see a trial with the perspective of joy. He says part of that strategy will be wisdom. When you see what God sees, your trial is going to be joyful because you know that God's going to use it for something good in your life. He says one of the strategies is humility. If God gives you wisdom, you're going to have a wrestling match with the ways of the Lord and the ways of your flesh or your plans. And so humility says God's ways are better than my ways. God's word is wiser and more sovereign and more complete and more whole than my limited understanding of the reality around me. And as he's been giving these strategies, he's now going to put another one on the table, which is in your wisdom that will point you to joy and in your humility that will unlock wisdom, be patient because it's going to take time. But in between, he had just a second to talk to one of the sources of the trials for the church immediate context of what we're reading. He says, this is a church in trial. And last week, he said they're in trial because as they've been scattered abroad through persecution, they lived in a time where following Jesus meant they were persecuted. They lived in a difficult time to bear a cross. And I hope that you are aware that it is difficult to follow Jesus, even though the last generation of Jesus followers, specifically in our culture, had a very nice and insulated bubble of following him in our culture. Doesn't mean that there's not a flesh and a devil and a world that is pulling you into the tides of unrighteousness. But we have had it pretty blessed to have to be reminded that following Christ comes with persecution. Part of that persecution was there was a ruling class in the dispersion or in the areas where these, new, these believers found themselves seeking uh, safety. And in their dispersion, they find themselves working in fields, in farms, in agricultural places for rich people who took advantage of them. And James says, a word for the rich, the rulers, the ruling class, the leaders, those in positions of power and authority, you're taking advantage of people. You're taking advantage of God's people. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord, meaning your time is limited, your oppression will be stopped, and vengeance belongs to the Lord on behalf of his people. So in all of the ways that the trial could be attached to at least a visible image of it, a ruling class figure, James says, therefore, be patient. In other words, don't worry. God has heard your cry. God understands your challenge. God sees those who are rejecting him and exploiting people for their own gain, and they will not get away with it in light of eternity. Therefore, wait and be patient. And he shifts the conversation back this morning to the brethren, the sisters and brothers in Christ that make up the church, that need to hear a message that God sees all of the things that alarm us. The news this week, the headlines that rolled through our news feeds and startled us or alarmed us or got us talking once again, 
and the tensions rise and we think through trials that we didn't see coming with a whole new need for wisdom and joy and humility, James says, don't worry. Nothing has changed in the sovereignty of God. God is on his throne. In fact, I'm mindful of the psalmist in chapter two that says, why do the nations rage? Why do the news feeds fill up with violence and anger and, and people fighting one another and the ruling class warring at the expense of the poor class? And then he says, the Lord of heaven laughs. He ridicules their position. He's not alarmed He's not worried that the Tower of Babel manifests from generation to generation and people unite against the name of God to make a name for themselves. He's not alarmed. And so James says, therefore, be patient. And that's the context from the ruling class to the oppressed. But there's a broader context that we find throughout the entire overlay of the book of James. Because if you go back to chapter 1, the very first study that we had, the very first call for us to interpret all of our trial and challenge and difficulties and the things that weigh on us and make us question God's goodness, James says, those trials you can count joy. He says, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing what? That the testing of your faith produces patience. It was there in the beginning. All of the trials that James will diffuse with the strategies of wisdom, humility, are pointing us to the gift of patience. They produce, our faith uses these trials to produce in us a, a discipline and a virtue and a relationship with God that trusts him over time. And it is the fulfillment of the great commandment to love God, not in an instant, not in a moment, but with our lives. It requires patience. And, and an extension of the great commandment comes the one that's just like it, which is how we love one another. And you look to the person to your left and to your right, to the one that you came with, with a covenant of marriage or a desire to be with long-term or just a friend. And I promise you, you need patience to survive all of the things that will strain you and cause the relationship to be tense. Let patience have its perfect work. And we come back to that because everything that James is going to give us throughout this entire letter is downstream from a desire for all of us to see the state of our world and the trials of our life as a call and a celebration of the way that God teaches us to wait on him over time, to cure us from this instant gratification culture that wants everything now, including the blessings of God, and as we read the prodigal son, the way that it hits this culture is to say, give me my inheritance now because I'm sick, wait, I'm sick of waiting on you. I'm sick of waiting on the Father in heaven for everything that he has for me. I want it now so I can do what I want. And so James comes and gives us what we all need to hear. Be patient. And we're going to look at this ever so brief as we will in a couple different ways. Because when we hear the call to patience, like all virtues that Christ wants us to follow him in, we, we can't help but to frame it in our own strength and power. You're being called into a season where you are waiting on God and the sanctuary is full of lists that you are waiting for. 
I know them. This, this last two years of our world has, has been a, an exercise in how do you wait for things that you need to get to the next thing. I remember one of the things on the list was we were all just waiting to come back to church. Two years ago, almost to this season, it's coming up close to two years, we scattered, and I remember the, the conversations I had with so many of you, when will we be back together? So we put regather on the list. And I, trust me, I was first in line for that. I don't know if you've heard the stories of what those broadcasts were like on my side of the camera, but they weren't fun. They, I, I, I look at them now and I say, it's some of the best marriage counseling I ever had as a, as a husband, wife, me in front of the camera and my wife as the only audience member and the camera person. And I remember the first time we set up to do an online-only version of Teaching the Word, and I'm like, this feels strange, but hit record, and I start preaching, and my wife's kind of listening, and then she gets something on her phone, and she's just looking at her phone. And I, I was like, you know what? I get it. It's like, like you, there's, we're blessed in the safety of numbers. If one of you needs to get on the email right now, I, I, I don't love it, but do it. But when I only got one person... I'm going to have to ask that that doesn't happen. And that was just a preview of all of the different ways that we were not a great team in that space. And so if you watch that online broadcast, just know it was highly edited. We were editing kids coming out of the background, and we were editing me telling my wife to get off her phone. And it was a hard time, and he put on the list, can we regather, please? And we all had lists. It's like, I don't like wearing this. Or some of you were like, I wish everyone would wear them. Put that on the list. And it's like, can we just cure this thing? Or can we, and, and there's, if we had this, we could all just continue to live. And we put patience in a frame. I can be patient for this long or for this thing. But James says this morning that there is an entirely different check mark for how we're supposed to be waiting on the Lord and what we're actually waiting for. This is Theology 101, but I needed to hear it this week because I come this morning with a predetermined list of things I'm willing to be patient for and a timeline as to which they expire. And James says to me, therefore be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. That's the end of the list. And everything on your list will be an opportunity for God to show himself faithful as he provides for bills or healing or specific reconciliation between you and a loved one or someone that you have on your heart that you want to see come to the Lord and all of those things by God's grace will be on the list according to his time you wait for them. But they aren't the end of patience. We are a people who are not waiting for the fallen world to be worked out by the strategies of man. And we're not satisfied simply with small victories for the church and the kingdom's expansion. We are grateful for the ways that God brings immediate answers into our waiting, but we are also mindful that we are patient people and we are waiting people and we will not be moved until the Lord sits over the throne of the heavens and the earth. Until every knee and every tongue confesses, bows down before him and confesses that he is Lord. And the final person has been redeemed and then the trumpet sounds. And then he ushers into the new heavens and the new earth a kingdom that will never be shaken. 
perfect justice and peace where every tear is wiped away, all sorrow eradicated. That's the patience that we're waiting for. Everything else on the list, we give to God and we say, thank you for your timing and all of your yeses and your noes. But we exist to wait for one thing, the upward call of heaven. Until he calls us home or returns, we are a patient people, not moved through any other answer on the list as a reason to stop waiting on God. Our patience is until the Lord returns. This was always challenging. It will always be challenging. I was especially pressed by this yesterday at the mini conference that Noah and Kirk put on called Cultivate Sabbath. Interesting timing of all of the things that we have going on this week, starting with a call to simply rest in the goodness of God. To acknowledge the design of God's creation that he had six days of work and then one day of rest, and our first day was his rest day. And he planted man into a garden to enjoy all of the work that he had already done. And so we spent all of Friday and Saturday being revived and refreshed by a call to be patient with the Lord in our rest. Rest is also an exercise of patience. Do you know why we aren't a very restful culture or why we aren't a very Sabbath-oriented people? because we could always be doing other stuff. If you wait until the list gets checked off to rest in the Lord, you will not rest. There is an act of faith every time that you Sabbath or rest or worship or pray or seek him in his presence without a phone or a to-do list to say, God, I know there are things that I could be occupying my mind and my time with. I know there are things I could be busy in to be accomplished and productive but I'm giving you my life and I'm being patient on those things so I can be present with you. Be patient so that you can be with God. And I was challenged by that because I'm not very good at resting. It was noon on Saturday and I was like, isn't this supposed to end by noon? And my thought was, when I mapped out my day, I'll go there until noon, and then I'm going to rush off and really work on this sermon all about patience. <laughs> that was my plan until Kurt Krager, Pastor Kurt, shared uh, one of the ways that the Lord is teaching us through his relationship with his nation, a nation that didn't get this right, that didn't wait on the Lord very well that always had something come up that said, I want that now and I'm willing to exchange the timing of the Lord for the thing that I want. And one of the prophets, Amos, came on the scene to warn the people that they were exchanging time with God for their own ways and the Lord wasn't pleased with it. It says in Amos chapter 8, verse 4, Hear this, you who swallow up the needy and make the poor of the land fail, saying, When will the new moon be past that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat? So Amos has something to warn the people. 
He says, you guys are swallowing up the poor. Sounds a lot like what James was saying to the ruling class. And God sees. And one of the ways that that is so clear is they were so interested with making a profit. Buy, sell, make a profit. Is this new moon past so we can sell some grain? I'm sick of the feast. I'm sick of celebrating and worshiping the God of the harvest. I want to focus on the wheat of the harvest so I can make some money. And then Amos says that you don't want a Sabbath because you want to trade your wheat. You want to go to the market. You want to be busy. You want to do what you can do to make some money to provide for yourself because God's not taking care of you. And how applicable to the day that we live in. It's like I, I'm part of the church circle, so I hear strategy. One of the strategies for how to reach a culture that is so instant with so many distractions and such long to-do lists is to try to massage church into their version of time frame. So it's like, could we get our church down to maybe like a 15-minute sermon, one song, uh, we could do the whole thing in 45 minutes and be gone. Now, if God's called you to have espresso church, do it. But it almost feels like we're so busy that God is on the list. He's not the one that we're actually giving our whole lives to. He's just someone that we're like, hey, we've got church and Costco and school and Costco's up, so we got to get out of here. If you have to leave early and that was already planned, please, you have my blessing. I don't want you to feel guilty. <laughs> this hits me. I listen to this and I think I'm trying to rush off to write a sermon about patience. And we all have things that we're rushing off to accomplish in the name of the Lord in exchange of patience. Are we willing to be patient so much so that we will seek God through prayer? Patience until he comes with his presence. Are we patient in the word? Until he comes, until the word comes alive and the voice of the Lord speaks to us through the word. Or are we looking for a one-minute devotional that would never violate the routines of our life? Are we looking for a version of following Christ that is so confined to one specific time frame that it really gives room for us to be more uh, fast-paced, hustle Americans than we are Sabbath-loving followers of Christ for all time? So the first thing that we're challenged by that we'll pray through this week is to say, Lord, we want to be patient unto you. You're the Lord. You're who we're waiting for. And we bring you all of the ways that your faithfulness will be revealed through our bills and our relationships and our jobs and our requests that you know the need of before we ask. But if you're removed from those things, we don't want them. Be patient until the Lord. And we'll come back to the fuller cry of that because that's the gospel, is that we have the Lord. We are not list people. We are not works people. We work from our rest. But the Lord is already on our side because he loves us. And we respond to his love because he first loved us. But before we look at Another way that James says, waiting until the Lord, we get a James picture. And I have so 
loved this run in the book of James, specifically for all of the ways that it is so full of these word pictures. There are these little parables and analogies to help us understand something in the way that we can see it in creation, in culture, in society, in humanity. And in verse 7, he's going to give us a picture that we have to slow down for slightly because we don't see this picture in our everyday lives as much anymore. He says, uh, be patient and see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. Now, we actually live in a valley that does still have some fingerprints of agriculture. But it's quickly, specifically the last couple of years, it's quickly turning into subdivisions. So if you're new to our church, maybe you live on an old farm. I'm from Eagle, and when I grew up, Eagle was farms, and now it's, it's a lot of other stuff. And if you're from Eagle, God bless you. Um, great place. I grew up there. So, so what are we missing? Because we haven't just developed it here in the valley. This is a way that 21st century world has developed away from the rhythms that you would see in the agricultural life. A farmer plants and waits, gets the rain, gets more rain, and then harvests. And then at the end of that, he rests and does it all again. And we don't have that built into our economic societies as much anymore. Farming has become a world thing. So what are we missing? Well, I'll say a couple things. One, this calls me back to a time I actually lived on a farm. When I was 21, I traveled through Europe just exploring, and I found myself working on a farm in France, and it was one of those old-school farms that was, like, from another era. I felt like I was living in, like, a little house on the prairie book because it was all old. And it taught me that this thing that the farmer experiences is not simply a discipline. The patience of the rhythms of creation and agriculture and planting and harvesting is an entire life. And we tend to frame things in books and ministries. And if you're feeling impatient this morning, then you need to join our patient recovery group. But the reality is, is that when you really think about what a farmer experiences, he is not reading a book and then folding his arms and gritting his teeth for patience. He's living in an entire environment where he has the rhythms of God's creation that he is bound to. There's nothing that he can do to make it rain. Now, we've even cracked that code. We have all sorts of irrigation methods that, that, that can solve this. But when you think about what James is pointing to, we have a person who has done everything they can. They've put the seeds in the ground. And now they are bound to wait. And what is he waiting for? It says, see how the farmer is waiting for the fruit, the precious fruit of the earth. He's waiting for the rain that will come to produce the fruit. Both things are completely outside of his power to make happen. Can't make the rain happen. And when you think about how life comes out of the ground in a miracle that we are totally numb to in our society, that is a process of Patient faith and waiting on God's design. Paul will see this metaphor as a way to see the church when he says in Corinthians that some plant and some water, but only God can bring the increase. 
and the farmer is bound to, or as Jesus says, he's a slave to. Jesus says slave to righteousness, but he's a slave to the economy of patience. There's nothing he can do but wait on creation. And so it is, brethren, sister, church, look at the farmer and realize that God is calling you to do everything that he's put before you in the economy of patience because he wants to do things in your life that you cannot manufacture. The list that you give him is a list to remind you you cannot manufacture the things that God wants to bring as the precious fruit of your life. The precious fruit, namely, first fruit of all creation, is Christ himself, waiting on the Lord. You can't save yourself. You can't shepherd yourself. You can't tell the Lord how to shepherd you and where to take you. You are waiting for the precious fruit of the Lord of your life to do what only he can do. And then there's this picture of rain. It says that the farmer waits patiently for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently until it receives the early and latter rain. A quick read of that might be helpful for us to remember that what we're waiting for, there is a latter, first rain and a latter rain, meaning you don't get the end of the patience just by the first answer for your prayer for rain. It's like the rain came, the harvest isn't quite ready yet. In other words, you're praying for a pandemic to end and there's still a world war. It's like it's not quite over yet. There's still more coming. And this picture also tells us a little bit about how God is cultivating in us a precious fruit right now. As you study agriculture in first century Palestine rhythms, there, there was a season of early rain and latter rain, and they had purposes. The purpose of the early rain was to prepare the land. Think about a hard, dry land before you plant. Break it up enrich it with the the nutrients of the water and get it ready for the planting. The early rain comes by God's design, and now the farmer is ready to plant. The soil has been prepared, and certainly there is an early rain to your life. Some of you are in early rain as the word of God goes out like a farmer sows seed into the soils of your hearts. Some of you have a rain that is just preparing your heart to receive it. Your, your life has to be broken up before you're listening to some preacher tell you about eternity. Your plans have to be halted and arrested and stopped. And your early rain hits you so that you would come to church and say, I'm actually interested. I'm actually listening. My life has been turned upside down by the last two years, and the early rain has come into your life so that the word I am preaching might land into your heart and grab root. And some of you, are ready for a latter rain. The word of God has gone into your life. You've accepted, your, your heart was turned over and the heart of stone turned into a heart of flesh. The preparation of the rain met the amazing presentation of the gospel and it's in there and now what has to happen? Patiently wait because the bad news before the good news in the gospel is that when you receive the gospel into your life, it is not an instant moment that everything that was bad turns good. And all of the mess all of a sudden gets worked out. And we need reminders of that, some of you, as you enter into the kingdom, even now. 
I hope that you will enter in with the amazing gift of patience in your hand because lest you think that you are supposed to hear the word of God and not need continual rain to grow inside of you, the word unto fruit, you will be very disappointed when the rain comes. Jesus says, difficult is the way. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. And few find it. There is no instant, amazing, everything is fixed, accepting Christ into your life. In fact, it's just the opposite. He said, anyone who wants to follow me, pick up your cross and follow me. And the later rain comes. And the later rain, when you have the word of God implanted into you as a seed, can be considered joyful because that later rain is a trial that will produce in you something genuine. And we are a generation that the more I think about the state of our world, the more I believe that we are being given a later rain that was going to produce an amazing harvest in our time. The Lord just watering and watering and watering the hearts and the minds of the believers to reject all of the deception of the, the, the false gods of this world to follow after Jesus. The last thing we'll look at in the picture is that he says the farmer waits patiently. Those are two words coupled together that often seem like synonyms, but here they're almost contrasting, waiting and patience. And I want to talk about it because what we're not saying today is to simply just keep waiting regardless of the condition of your heart and the worship of your soul and the, and the peace of your mind. Not all waiting is created equal. Not all waiting is patient waiting. All of us have to go through the reality that we don't get everything that we want in the timeline that we want it. And today we're hearing by the Spirit, choose and, and honor God by being patient instead of grumbling. In fact, next week we'll look at the opposite of patience, which is to grumble. So it's worth pointing out the definition of patience for this reason. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry. So the farmer, as he plants, day one, day two, month one, no rain, but he's not mad. He knows the design of creation. He knows that the first rain is on its way. Believer, you're waiting. How are you waiting? Are you waiting trusting that God is going to turn all this around for good? Because if you are, you're going to have joy. Your patience will produce in you a more complete work. Or are you waiting so mad and so angry? So I, I previewed a little bit of a parenting class. Let me tell you why I need to take one. I was talking to Tommy, my youngest, talking. We were going to have breakfast. As you may have heard, he's the first one up. And we, so he and I, um, we've been having breakfast together. Typically, it's been cereal. Pour the bowl, pour the milk, give the spoon, and bam, you're done. The other day, Daniela brought some oatmeal home. I was like, oh, oatmeal's fun. I'll make that. That's great. So me and Tommy are at our morning breakfast routine, and he sees the bowl come out. He sees the milk on the table and a spoon. Uh, but instead of instantly putting cereal in the bowl, I started to boil water. And he got so confused. He's like, wait a second. Where's the food? Here's the pattern. Food goes in the bowl, then milk, then spoon, and we're eating in like 10 seconds. And what is that? He sees me pour the oatmeal into the pot. And I was like, oh, Give me six minutes, you'll have it. Six minutes. And it's like, whoop. 
what's six minutes to him? That might as well be six years. He's hungry now. He wants food now. And so the whole house wakes up with him absolutely losing it because he didn't understand that cereal and oatmeal are only six minutes apart. But now insert your version of the story. It's not six minutes, it's six years. It's all the same to God. It's not oatmeal, it's a person that you have been longing to be reconciled with. It's a thorn in your flesh that you're longing for the Lord to relieve you of, and he gave you his word that he was gonna provide for you. And you're like, splash the milk, let's eat. (laughs) And he says, wait for the water to boil. And you're like, what does that mean? (laughs) The farmer knows what that means. He doesn't get the water right away. He waits. And in his waiting, he is patient. Patience is your confidence in the promise of God. Patience is you saying, I have faith that God is doing something that I don't get to see right now, but it doesn't mean he's not doing it. Waiting patiently means that you are not surprised that God works in a timeline that is different than yours. And the farmer is not the end picture. This is just a picture to show us something that is difficult to get into our minds because the farmer represents the whole story. The whole design is the person who waits patiently for the coming of the Lord from Genesis to Revelation. That's the design. And God goes first. He says, I'm going to make myself a nation by which I will bless everyone. And who does he choose? The instant family that's already got the kids and all he's got to do is tell them how to do it. He chooses a woman with a barren womb and a man that is beyond, he's aged out. And it's going to take a little bit of time. And it's not going to be something that they can manufacture. There's no irrigation for that. And then he gets his people to a point where they're ready to be a nation and they go right into slavery for 400 years. And they wait for salvation and they wait and they advent and they wait. And then he frees them, points them to a promised land and they zigzag around it for 40 years and they wait and they wonder if God is still faithful. And then our Lord comes on the scene, the visible image of this invisible God. And he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he gets to age 30, and he says, finally, you guys are ready for the truth, and I'll start telling you about the kingdom. And immediately goes 40 days and 40 nights and just fasts and prays. What are you waiting for? His disciples are like, come on, let's go. And they try to, it says in John, they try to crown him by force, and he flees from their midst. So he waits 30 years, then he waits three and a half years to even tell them that he's the Messiah. And then he conquers sin and death, and he shows them the word, and it all points to him, and they're like, now is the time. And he's like, the time is not your business. No man knows the hour of the time except my father. It's all in his hands. What's their job to do? And our job downstream of those disciples, stay here and wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the design. Wait patiently for the Spirit to come like the early rain. Wait patiently for the Spirit to come like the latter rain to grow the church. 
and we study it, and we hear it, and we listen, and we believe it. In the sanctuary, we say amen, and then we get to our cars, and we're like, where was I? Because I got to get going. (laughs) That sounded great, and I'll believe it for the next two days. Wait patiently. And, And finally, in this design that James gives us, we have the command to wait patiently. We have the picture of the farmer. And now also we have the purpose of patience. Verse 8, and we'll end with this. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. There's two reasons for us to be very patient today. One, it says that we would establish our hearts. One of the ways that James is trying to direct this church is by offering some cures to them as to why trials often go sour. And one of the reasons is that people, believers, non-believers, followers of Christ, people that are on the outside looking in, we are so fickle. We believe on Sunday and we doubt on Monday. And James says, if you need wisdom, just ask. But when you ask for wisdom, don't be double-minded. Don't start arguing with God as to whether or not his wisdom is really going to work. It says if you're double-minded, you're like a wave that's just being tossed to and fro by the sea. If you ask God for wisdom but don't trust his wisdom, if you, God gives you a reason to be joyful but you can't shake the sorrow, God says humble yourself and stop making all these plans and telling me to get behind you. Ask me what my will is. But you'll start after the last 365-day planner is complete. And in the same way, James is saying, be patient so that your heart is so established in God that you're not shaken. You're not moving to the left and to the right with every new headline that comes through. You're not saying, Lord, I, I I said I could make it through a pandemic. I don't know about a war. Patience says, my heart is established, it's not moving. And so we understand this with the patience we have for the people we love. You have patience for your wife, which means, husbands, your heart's not moving from her. It doesn't matter what she does. You, you are committed by covenant between God and her that you are unmoved in your heart. You're going to be patient through thick and thin. Wives to husbands. We're patient with our kids. Thank God my parents were patient with me because their heart was established for me. And when you have a heart after God and you trust God beyond your own understanding, but you lean on his wisdom, it does something to your heart. It anchors you. And we're no longer people who lose heart. We're no longer people who give in to worry and give in to fear and walk around with the, the, the climate of the world that we're in just confused and bickering and arguing about the plot of the world. We know the plot. The plot is he's going to return. Have patience for the end of the movie and you can stop having to to have a heart attack of the soul every time the new headline of your life comes out. Establish your heart. The second reason. The second purpose for the patience. And we've called this series Gospel on the Ground and so I've taken that as as a personal challenge to make sure the gospel comes out every time we're in this series. And the gospel exists all throughout, hidden throughout the the word and throughout the the letter. 
There are moments where the good news that it's God and his grace that saves us and ignites us and gives us joy and gives us the patience that we need to wait for his return. Here it is. Be patient, establish your heart, for the Lord is at hand. That's the gospel. As your headline says, war is at hand. Pandemic is at hand. Your bank account says, bankruptcy is at hand. And all the trials say, this is actually what's coming. Your patient little heart says, you know what's actually at hand? God. The Savior of the world is on his way. And this letter reached these people to give them hope that the Lord was not done with the oppressors of the world. And he is on his way. Just keep waiting because you will be harvested into the new heavens and the new earth to be citizens of a new kingdom. Just keep waiting. Do not give up. And it's true of our day. The church around the globe right now should be celebrating, should be praising should be so grateful that as we hear of wars and rumors of wars, we also know that the Lord is at hand and he's closer today than he was yesterday. And when we start living that way, all of this stuff are small details in the plot line. That's all they are. Because the Lord is at hand. So you reverse engineer it. Do you believe that the visible image of the invisible God was Jesus Christ, his son, who came into the world that none would perish, that all would have life in his name? And if you believe that, do you believe that he conquered sin and death so that we could have life, so that we could overcome the real enemy by which all enemies are just standing as the face of, which is sin and death and the spiritual forces of evil in our world? You believe those things. Okay, good. Do you believe that God is, now has his son sitting at the right hand of the Father in heaven? That when we gather in this way, we gather in the midst of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the God of the living today. Good, you believe that. Do you believe that God has a plan to usher in his kingdom and that his kingdom is on its way and that his king will sit on the throne and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? If you believe it, keep waiting. Keep being patient. Don't be moved by any current event of the world or the flesh of the devil. And this week, we are going to practice all of these ways that we will be patient because prayer and fasting does not exist without patient hope. We're going to say, Lord, there's so many things that we could get busy about this week, but we're going to do none of them. We're going to seek you, and we will do more by seeking you and crying out to you and letting the cry of the reaper reach your ears than we will in all of the busyness that we could do to try to combat the, the fears of the world. We're going to do it with worship tonight. And then we're going to pray. And at the end of it all, the Lord will be honored and glorified. And, and he will teach us that this is not just a week. This is our life. This is how we were designed to live, to be patiently waiting on God's return day by day by day with confident hope that nothing is going to change the good plans of God for this world and our lives.